0: Hey, everyone. Welcome into Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer podcast. I'm Lisa Roman, CBS Sports host and NWSL analyst alongside Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBSSports.com. It is officially March and it is Women's History Month. Here at Attacking Third, we are rolling out very special series every single Tuesday throughout this month. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX with our Title IX Tuesdays starting today each Tuesday we are speaking with some pretty incredible women who are just game changers in their fields from athletes and Olympians to trailblazers and sports media influences Uh, we have so many great conversations coming up for everyone this month as a quick reminder you can follow us on Twitter at attacking third and if you're listening as a podcast please give us a five star rating it just takes a second on the Spotify homepage and it really helps out the pod if you like title nine Tuesday series drop us a comment on Apple podcast with a five-star review, telling us what you liked and your favorite guests. We really do want to hear from you all. So today on the show, we are starting the Title IX celebrations with a very special United States Women's National Team guest, Sam Muis. Sam talks about how she grew up playing soccer, how it was normal for her and the boys to have teams and to play, her influence of the 1999ers and the Women's National Team, and how now she is a role model on the national team, hopefully projecting to younger girls what it takes to play at this level. She also talks about the NWSL CBA, how the women's national team and the men's national team now gets to join together to create a CBA. It is a great, great conversation. So take a listen to our Title IX chat with Sam Uless.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, is the CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Rita, joined today as always by my colleague and co host Lisa Roman, we are continuing our Title IX Tuesdays throughout the month of March, and today we are very lucky to be joined by a very special guest, Sam Mewis, United States Women's National Team and Casey Kern midfielder, a three-time NWSL champion, a two-time world champion, Olympian, 2020 U.S. Soccer, Female Player of the Year, so many accolades. I can keep going, right, Sam? Welcome to A Second Third. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: We're well, to, to chat with you. We've been doing a little bit of a cel- uh, celebrating here on at Attacking Third, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Uh, it's been interesting to have this chat with so many different women in different spaces of sport. And I know for Lisa, myself, and, and you talking about this a little bit, it's been in place for 50 years. So before any of us were, were born, but to for, for you, if you could speak a little bit to your experiences as a, as a soccer player, why is, is something like Title IX so important?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I I felt like growing up, I had every opportunity that I, I could have asked for. I think um, I was born in 92, so Title IX had been in place for a while. And I just think um, in my community, girls playing soccer was um, applauded and, and welcomed. And it was this exciting thing. And um, I never even growing up, never even thought about there being a difference between boys and girls playing soccer. So I think that just speaks to. Um, how far Title IX has allowed women in sport to come. And um, I I felt growing up like, yeah, I could play any sport and and be fully backed and um, fully supported doing that.
0: Sam, you also played NCAA Division I soccer, right? UCLA, you won a national championship there. Um, During your sophomore year of college, I mean, you said you were just born in 92. My quick math, it that was when the WPS folded. So uh, the professional soccer league ended during your time in college Um, as a college player in 2012 and at the top of your collegiate game, did you, were you aware that the professional league had folded at that time? Did it affect you at all? Did you have plans to play professionally? Do you remember this?
2: Um, I, I do remember when the league folded and I knew that that was obviously not ideal. I think I always had such faith um that it would come back and and fortunately it did and I I my sister who was two years older than me obviously was really affected by this as well so um I think she was in maybe the first draft class for the NWSL, and kind of seeing that take off again and seeing her um journey through the league for a few years before I entered myself was obviously great to see um I also think that women's soccer has had so much momentum at such different times um, so kind of that that build up from the 2015 World Cup and then winning, um, I think, just lent a lot of momentum and a lot of uh, like hype to the country and to the sport. And that that was definitely a big uh, part of this kind of new rallying around the end of cell.
1: So for yourself, I know you've maybe you've chatted about this a little bit before in the past, uh, talking about 2015 right now, right, with something like the World Cup. And talking about, you know, getting inspired, you know, in terms of your playing career, you mentioned your sister, Christy, being a few years, right? When you think about the 99ers, right, I've heard you talk a little bit about their influence, right? Uh, What does it mean to sort of see maybe that generation of players, right, when we're talking about Title IX, sort of go through the experiences that they went through? Because they've also been vocal and on record and talking about the things that they've had to go through. uh, And then sort of seeing this transgression uh, to, to now present day.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think those are the women and even some women who came before them from the onset of the national team who really paved the way for all of us. I think, especially with this equal pay conversation that we've been having, um, we owe so much to those women who really started the team and who put women's soccer on the map. Those women like April Heinrichs and, um, the, into the 99ers it's, it's, been such a long journey and s- starting from somewhere like title nine and getting to somewhere like we are today, um, has taken so many people's commitment to kind of fighting and demanding more. Um, so I just think that hearing stories or, or realizing that the opportunities that I've been so lucky to have have not always been there for women. Um, it's really eye-opening and it really kind of makes you see how important it is to keep this fight going and to keep supporting women in sports um, because I think
1: it's just such a valuable thing. Let's fast forward a little bit to, to this year. So you're currently in, in preseason, right, with with Casey Curran. NWSL is fully in the swing of, of preseason vibes. But this year, the night before the 10th annual year of NWSL kicks off, Uh, there was a little bit of groundbreaking news, right? Some historic news with the NWSL and the Players Association ratifying the first ever CBA. And that's something else that we also have been celebrating on attacking third. Um, And we just wanted to get your initial thoughts or your feelings about sort of seeing that kind of come to light uh, with this uh, very uh, first ever CBA for NWSL players.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just feel so grateful. I, I know that so many hundreds of hours went in from players um, I know somebody like Tori Houston um, and then the Eddie PAs uh, is, I forget if she's called the executive director too. Megan Burke. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I know just how, how much the players and, and how much Megan and the legal team put into that. And, um, it's so incredible to know that there are people fighting for all of us and kind of spending that kind of time. Um, it's just such a commitment and to have to take what your teammates say is important to them and put it into this kind of legal language, ask for it, be told you can't have it realize it's still really important. Ask for it again. It's just such a process. And I'm so grateful. This is um, the national team players who previously haven't fallen under the, in the same pool as the NWCL, but now we are, and I'm not explaining this well, but we are under the NWCL CBA. So I feel so grateful and I know my national team teammates do as well, that um, players have fought for our rights and fought to make the NWSL, um a safer and more opportunistic place for NWSL players to be. So I think it's incredible. And I'm again, just really grateful and, and proud of all the work that those players did.
1: You're, you're doing it. A perfect
2: job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I
1: also feel like everyone, we, but... we've done like I feel at this point we've done like a dozen episodes where we've talked a little bit about the CBA because we've been talking to so many players about it. So our, our listeners I feel are pretty caught up. Um, okay, great. So you guys fill in the gaps I left. No, Overall, bro. <laughs> super grateful. Thanks, Edmundo
2: <laughs> Pa. You guys,
0: Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring.
1: Um, sort of making that personal connection, right? Where sort of having these two fights happen, happening adjacent to each other, whether it was on the national team side of things, and then on the NWSL player side of things, because something that sort of um, was really telling as the news started to roll out about this ratified CBA uh, was all of these kind of big bullet points that kind of came out, right, within it. And it was sure it's like something a big, a big thing like uh, you know uh, the minimum uh, wage, you know, being being risen, uh, elevated, and things like that. But there were also things within it, um, like things like the, the concept of uh, parental leave, right, or uh, mental health leave, stuff like that. There were all these kinds of things that we could draw these parallels, right, to direct personal player experience. So having seen that and all this stuff kind of come out, was there anything within that that maybe made you go like, wow, like this, something is that resonates with me personally, or maybe for your own, you know, relationship to your teammates that you knew was going to help impact them in a a much bigger way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that the the raising of the minimum salary was a huge step in Making it a livable wage. I'm again. I'm so grateful. I'm so proud of the NWSL players for having fought so hard for that. And I think there are things in like a, a another type of workplace that are there to protect employees, like you said, parental leave, adoption leave, things like that. And for the last however many years, the league has existed without a CBA. Those things were unclear, or they were like sometimes just relationships with that you had with your coach or your owner and to kind of put them into like a legal document and tell players like this is your right, instead of you need to like, just do your best to advocate for yourself. Um, I think that that's so powerful. I think I have this kind of privilege of having been on the national team and almost having been in a position to advocate for myself. But when you see younger players and newer players coming in and, Um, maybe they don't have a contract yet, or they don't know that what their rights are. The CBA just makes that so clear in black and white. So it was so important for the league to have that happen. Um, and then the other thing I was going to mention was the mental health leave. I think, um, getting that in there again, if players need that and, and players, um, feel like taking time away is, is best for their mental health. I think that that's such a valuable thing to, um, for us to have fought for and to have stuck with. Um, so I think again, the, the players who really kind of took this CB negotiation on their shoulders and put the time in and asked their teammates what they needed. This has been obviously years in the making. So, um, I think it's just an incredible step for the league and, and is going to do so much good for the league as a whole, not just for the players, but it will really help the league become even more successful.
0: It takes time for these things to happen and to come about, like you just said, I mean, years in the making and, and something else that just happened last week, U S women's national team and U S soccer, they settled their equal pay lawsuit that had also been going on for years, and for you, Sam, as a member of the NWSL, so the CBA now affecting you there, but uh, also of the United States Women's National Team, this settlement between U.S. Soccer and the team and the those players that fought so long and hard for the equal pay. Um, now that this settlement has happened, what does this mean for uh, the equality of the United States Soccer Women's National Team? Yeah,
2: uh, like you said, I mean, this obviously was a uh, something that's been in the works for years and I first just want to like shout out the leaders of this kind of movement. I think um people who were on this litigation committee who um, were on all the calls talking to lawyers um went to mediation like there's this group of players who um, really put in so much time and and really kind of set this tone of of what this settlement had to look like for us to agree to it. Um, so i would i think just knowing them and and knowing how much work it took i think it's an incredible accomplishment um but i would be remiss to not mention that it's the settlement is contingent on our ratifying the cba as well so it's not done yet we have so much more work to do we need to get the cba um to a place of agreement and uh ratified by the members so um I think it's really important that we just shift our focus to that and it's kind of not over yet. So I think getting a good, um, equal fair CBA is the next step in kind of checking this box.
1: Maybe to sort of, uh, stick on that with a little bit with, with the sort of agreement, the settlement agreement in place for, for now that the next step is right. The, the two national teams, uh, essentially collaborating to, uh, ratify a, a new CBA. So what are some aspects uh, you know, of this potential CBA with U.S. soccer that are important to you?
2: Yeah, uh, great question. I um, I have some talking points. I should have pulled them up for this because I could probably give you guys so much better detail if I had them up. Um, I think, again, we we there were there's three things. I know one of them is club and country balance. I think one of the things that's really important to us Um, is being here and available for for our club games. I think in the past with with world tournaments and qualifying tournaments um, and having games in the league played during FIFA windows, that's been a a huge challenge is we haven't been as present with our clubs as we would like to be. So finding that balance is something that's really important to me. I know that um, the CBA being equal is obviously – the first thing that both parties of course are aspiring to figure out what that looks like. And I'm missing a bullet point, which okay. I know this is a podcast, so I can't really do anything about it. Those are those are big ones anyway. So thank you for, for sharing. <laughs>
0: it's all right we didn't prepare you to to bring your notes on this it's all good yeah. <laughs> we're <laughs> celebrating the the 50 years of title 9 because that's the the anniversary is this summer in june um and the NWSL CBA the US soccer settlement now the this the CBA to come between the US soccer and the national teams um but all of this coming because there wasn't equality before in the past. And it does take time to get to this point, but for you specifically, when you look back at your college days or even starting to play professionally or your time with the national team, um, any point in your professional or playing career, were there moments that you personally saw gender discrimination or you were faced with it? I
2: mean, the things that the national team has been fighting for over the years that have been public, some of those instances I was present for um, in my like youth, uh, like I said, I, I think I had a lot of good opportunities, and I, I guess I didn't even really know what I was looking for. Um, this has been an, an educational opportunity for me as well. I I have found over these past few years, especially that I'm so kind of blown away by my teammates' ability to put what happens into language and put what happens into action. Um, I don't know that I on my own could have recognized what was happening or even could have thought to do what we did. Um, and so in that sense, I think, yes, of course it, I, I've been around this game for a long time and, are there inequalities compared to the men's game? Of course there are. Um, I just think that my experience has been so much this learning position where I look at Becky Sauerbrunn and Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan and Kristen press. And I, I look at these women who are asking for more demanding better. And now I might know better how to do that in the future. So I know it wasn't a trick question, but I I can't I, mean, I can't like go into an instance, but I just think that we've all experienced it in so many small ways and some big ways. And my the biggest thing that I've gathered from the last couple of years is that I do deserve better. The game deserves better, and I think I've learned how to talk about that and how to demand it. And I've learned that from my teammates who kind of like led the way. You
1: know, it's it's to so hear you speak about it too. It's, I think that's probably something that resonates pretty true for a lot of maybe women could if We're just looking back at maybe the the scope and the lens of women's soccer in the United States and over the course of maybe like the last 18 months, even we can say um, that a lot of it has been that. And I think what I find most interesting when we do get players who come on here and we chat a little bit about this um that there are moments where sometimes they say like no to that question, because especially it's like for women who are thinking about that question or they think about answering it, their experiences are always different, right? Depending on the person that you're talking about it with, you know? So I appreciate your, your candor and your honesty in answering, uh, in in answering that type of question. Uh, And I like, you know, hearing you talk a little bit about other players, right. And what you've learned from them, because that's something that we've seen, when it comes to talking about or covering women's soccer as well, right? This concept of, uh, you know, this concept of being a role model or being uh, the the person that, you know, other little girls look up to, right? When you're looking in stands and you see young fans cheering for you or just simply waiting for an autograph or a photo with you like post game, right? How much of your role and your job do you see is like, being a role model for them adjacent to being a soccer player, right? How important is it to show this next generation that it's possible?
2: Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's obviously so important. I think when I look back on my childhood, again, I was looking up to the 99ers and it's without that kind of representation of women in sport and and then to go a step further, women who look like you in sport. um, I think that, it was so important for me to see that it's so important for young girls to see us continuing and and my teammates continuing with that. Um, I think there's this also this aspect to the game that like, I just want to be the best player that I can be. And I think in turn that will inspire girls. Um, So I don't necessarily, I don't know if it's like part of the job technically it's obviously this wonderful um, addition and it's this wonderful kind of off field. Um, yeah, like addition to, to what I do. Um, but my hope is that the women's game is getting to a point that where what we do on the field is, is so valued and so important and so good, um, that that's kind of seen as its own, it, as its own thing. And, and the football, the soccer is that's, that is what it is. Um, But of course I want to be a good role model off the field and, and yeah, on the field too. But um, I, I think that there's kind of two lanes for that. Um, And then interacting with fans and seeing young girls is just such a fun, like extra part that uh, is kind of like a perk of the job.
0: Yeah. There's really different like categories for what you do because it's like training and trying to be the best you can be on the field and going out and winning games, but then also uh, being that role model off the field and talking to them. There's so many different facets of this. And even in in our lives, I know Sandra and I talk about this. We get so wrapped up in what we're doing day to day and in minute to minute and trying to write out our to-do list and everything. But you have a lot of friends in this space that you're with. I mean, uh, that's the beauty of playing sport is a lot of time. It's fun. So your sister, you mentioned Tara Christie Mewis, that you've played with a number of times. She's in the NWSL, also on the national team. Uh, your friend, Lynn Williams, who's also in Kansas City Current with you and on the national team. Do you ever have these types of conversations with your friends, your sister in this space to kind of talk about um, maybe how you got to where you are and and being a female in this space and everything that uh, that Becky Sauerbronn and Kristen Press are fighting for. Do you have those candid conversations maybe off the pitch with the, the friends that you play with?
2: Yeah, I think we do. I mean, I think um, it's such a, especially right now with everything while we're talking about this, everything that's been going on, it's such a big part of our lives right now. And I think it's, it has been really interesting to kind of see other people's perspectives and see how different things play into all of our experiences. Um, I talk about stuff like this with Lynn all the time. I talk about stuff like this with Rose all the time. Um, I always feel like I'm learning from some of the older players and kind of seeking out their advice on certain things or seeking out their opinions on certain things. Um, We talk about this on our podcast a lot, Lynn and I have a podcast next little plug, um, hosted by Just Women Sports, but, um, we try to bring conversations like this in because not only is it fun for us to have, but I think it is really important to kind of have these kind of more honest and maybe sometimes more difficult to talk about conversations. Um, so totally, uh, and some the best part about it is that I feel like I'm always learning better ways of thinking about things from my teammates and friends.
1: Nice. Let's stay with that energy then a little bit as we close out this. So something that we do uh, with with these interviews we started with Title IX, kind of closing it out with that. We've obviously come a long way in the last fifty years. We've chatted a little bit about uh, you know people who have influenced you, you know, on your journey uh, in terms of something like gender equality. So in you, as we like get a little reflective here towards the end, how much further do we need to go right because that's also a concept that we talk about a lot that the work is never done and what are maybe sort of some of your hopes and dreams for the next 50 years
2: oh wow um how much further do we need to go i mean immediately we need to get the national team cba working on that i'm after this i have to go do a fall about that so that's in the the nearest future um i think there's always work to do. I mean, there are so many other forms of inequality going on in the world right now. Um, I mean, even just with what's going on in Texas, um, I I think there's always going to be, unfortunately, something to fight for. And until everybody is treated equally, I think the the national team and the NWSL is going to be a place that really strongly advocates for, for everybody, especially those who need the most. what could we imagine for the next 50 years? Geez, I mean, financially I want to see players getting paid millions of dollars. I want to see our league growing. I want to see more teams. I want to see, um, just the investment continue. I I'm something like Trinity Rodman's contract. I think everybody in the league was like, this is awesome. Like this is so cool to see or psyched that that's a headline that's going around. I think it, I'm I'm excited for her. I'm excited for the growth that that shows that the league is, is capable of. And we, we we all want to see more of that. So um, to the next generation coming up, I hope that the league, the national team, soccer in the world is just continuing to present more and more opportunities. And um, I can't wait to see that happen.
1: Us too. We can't wait to hopefully cover that sooner rather than in the next 50 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam U.S. United States women's national team star and Kansas City current midfielder, we just want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit of your story with us on Attacking Third. We also like to thank our listeners at the end of the episode, so thanks to our audience for following along with us. You can follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third for more. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcast shows. We're available as videos. Subscribe to us at youtube.com slash Attacking Third. And we will be back next Tuesday with more Title IX Tuesday coverage for Sandra
2: at Lisa Roman, and Sam Muehler. This was Attacking Third.